Episode 107, Healthcare's Big Heist. Today, I speak with Dave Chase. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Dave Chase has returned to the podcast to talk about the upcoming film he's working on called The Big Heist. Spoiler alert. Today, we talk about what the heist is, who done it, and what the victims of said heist can do to begin to switch it up moving forward. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Dave. Great to be on, longtime subscriber, and always listen, and real honored to be on. Well, you, my friend, are actually my very first second-time guest. Awesome. So welcome well, back. Doubly honored. And you are also, just jumping right in here, you are currently gearing up to go to Health 2.0 in Santa Clara, which is the conference that starts on September 25th. And I understand, little birds have told me that ZDog MD is going to be interviewing yourself and Jonathan Bush about some really cool stuff that you are working on, including your new documentary film, The Big Heist. That's right. That's right. He's got a ZDog, also known in the real world as Dr. Zubin Damania is launching a talk show. And if you've subscribed to his videos or watched him, you can realize what a talent he is. So he's got a show. He's going to be talking with us about the film and the initiative that Athena Health has, has really catalyzed, but meant to be an industry initiative about unbreaking healthcare. Z-Dog is going to launch a new video that is to, as if you've seen him, you realize he's kind of like a weird owl for medicine. And his next parody video is going to be to Eminem's Lose Yourself. And it's kind of an anthem to the unbreak healthcare effort. And so we're going to be talking about that and talking about the film. And folks like Z-Dog and Jonathan are going to be in the film. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't think I'll, I'll be able to get a word in edgewise with those two, but that's fine. <laughs> and ZDog MD is on Facebook, right? So if you search ZDog MD in Facebook, you will find the videos and talk show that you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, he's got ZDogMD.com and Facebook.com slash ZDogMD. Yeah, he's pretty easy to find. And you alluded to Athena Health and Jonathan Bush is the the founder, and I'm not sure what his title is, but he's the big cheese over at, at Athena Health. He is. He is the CEO over there and has been quite a while. And yeah, very reserved, quiet sort of individual. I'm sure nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> uh, yep, that is his reputation. So is there anybody else who's working on the film, the, the Big Heist, which we'll talk about in a sec, but I just want to make sure that we have all of the behind the scenes players identified here. Yeah, I mean, there's a big virtual team. And then in terms of the, the filmmakers, there's a filmmaking team, Megan O'Hara, Nick McKinney, who have been nominated for Oscars and won Emmys and Peabody's and behind some of the iconic films and TV shows the last decade, like the Daily Show and Morgan Spurlock and Bowling for Columbine. You know, really excited about 
putting together a world-class team to put this whole film together. My first one, but excited about it. To launch your filmmaking career, what what is this heist? You were calling this the big heist, and it's about the healthcare industry. How are you defining the heist? Yeah, I mean, it's at a few levels. One is at the clinician and professional level, record levels of burnout and dissatisfaction and even suicide, the highest rate of suicide of any profession of doctors right now. It's not great there. So we're kind of stealing their souls and professional independence at and then at a, you know, outside of the healthcare professional world, the heists at the individual level are things like the fact that the middle class is actually in an economic depression. You know, the definition of economic depression is two or more years of income decline. And by that definition, they've been in a depression for 20 years. It's entirely due to healthcare. And, you know, another look at that is there's been some analysis that shows that millennials, if the rate of spending only goes up half of what CMS is projecting, they'll spend half of their entire life earnings on healthcare. And if it grows at the rate of CMS projections, essentially three quarters of their lifetime earnings will go to healthcare, essentially making them indentured servants to healthcare. And then at a macro level, probably seeing quotes like from the former chair of the Council of Economic Advisors that when there was the debt crisis said, you know, we don't have a, a debt problem, we have a healthcare problem. There was a whole TED talk by Bill Gates devoted to how healthcare has devastated the education budget. So when a, there's kind of multiple levels of heist, you know, whether it's at the professional level, the personal level, the sort of societal level. And so we're going to talk about those. And really it's a follow the money sort of scenario that will take people on. What is the goal that you hope to achieve? Obviously, education and making people aware. It's not necessarily a intuitive leap to understand that our infrastructure is failing. And why is the infrastructure failing? Oh, yes, because such a gigantic proportion of our GDP is going to healthcare. Everything else is becoming table scraps, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, it's really dramatic when you look at it. And it's not like you have to connect five dots. You connect two dots to make that point. So the big goal and kind of the genesis of this was I've really been on a quest for the last seven years to find the folks who've figured out how to kind of solve the biggest problems in healthcare, you know, first as a tech startup. And now, you know, my day job is, is as a venture capitalist. And, you know, that's really just a bet on how the future is going to unfold. So like, hey, go find these folks who've already figured it out. And then as I dug in and unpacked, it's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible what's going on. You know, I've been, said the rather provocative statement that we've gone to war for far less than what healthcare is doing to individuals in the country. I thought, gosh, how on earth do you change that dynamic? Because, you know, I kind of joked on the one hand, you know, that you have this highly dysfunctional system that doesn't perform well poor consumer experience, low net promoter score, you know, on the one hand. So that's not great. And then on the other hand, you have, what we'll probably talk about a little bit, the health rosetta, which is actually happening out in the real world and, and is practically utopia by comparison, you know, so therefore it's just a marketing problem, right? Everybody would want that. But the problem is there's 3 trillion reasons to protect the status quo. And as I thought about how on earth 
do you change that dynamic? And I thought about some of the huge challenges over the last, you know, 50 years or whatever, whether it's civil rights or climate change or food. And one thing you realize is that these things don't get solved top down. They get solved and catalyzed from the bottoms up. They're grassroots movements. And the only way that I could imagine you could overcome the three trillion reasons to protect the status quo and and the fact that the industry is remarkably effective at, at fighting off change is if you had a partnership between clinicians and citizens that said, you know, we can do a lot better. And, you know, the good news in air quotes is clinicians are even more dissatisfied with the status quo because they live it every day. And as I thought about that, how on earth do you get that kind of partnership to happen? And then I thought, but again, back to those big movements, well, media and film have been incredibly important. I just watched Selma not long ago. You know, the difference with Martin Luther King versus others was he was very savvy about using the media. I think if you were alive today, he'd be a YouTuber and he'd be using satire and he'd be using the tools of the day to do that. And so I was like, gosh, there's got to be a film. Nobody's done this yet. There's been plenty of fine films that are PBS worthy, but not really one that would reach the broad general public. And so I put it out there and expected to get crickets in response. But one thing leads to another. And as I mentioned, some fantastic filmmakers have stepped up and, and you know, investors and supporters. And so it's, it's really taken on a life of its own. So that's kind of the, the story behind it. I think it's a really interesting approach given that you've got these gigantic economic powers as well as just political powers and nothing for nothing. But I spent time studying in Sweden and my one of my theses was on how economic power is actually political power. They are synonymous. But that aside, <laughs> completely random tangential sidebar, but nothing for nothing. We have these gigantic vested interests, as you said, that have absolutely no incentive, really, to change anything by their own devices. Anytime you've got a successful entity who's doing perfectly well, thank you very much, asking them, they're not going to be any disrupting anything. It's just not a rational move if you're just thinking about it in economics 101 terms. So it will take a grassroots effort unless somebody else can figure out how to enact change. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen from within the industry. The logic makes perfect sense that if you're trying to reach a broad audience, that a medium such as a film targeted to a broad audience is, it's easy to connect the dots to where you're going there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody is acting very rationally inside of, uh, you know, against a set of perverse incentives. And there's some idiots here and there like Martin Shkreli, but my experience, 99 plus percent of people went in the, into the industry for all the right reasons, want to do the right thing, but they're kind of stuck inside of a model. And you're right. Of course, you know, when you're profiting like that, you want to run that for as long as you can. Healthcare is an industry that sometimes can feel very entitled and, you know, that's where, you know, I'm like, I'm a capitalist, you know, the, the best products and services, best value propositions should win. The buyers need to step up. I think that there's some dynamics on the purchaser side, not just in the public space, which gets a lot of attention. But if you look at who's doing the best job at addressing the biggest problems in healthcare, 
it's been employers. Not enough of them, but they're doing some incredible stuff. Not to ruin the suspense of the story of the big heist, but who did it? (laughs) Yeah, who did it? Really the system, the system and a perverse set of incentives. And, you know, within that, again, there's folks acting very rationally inside of that. And if you look at what I view as the two biggest problems, and I think are generally understood what makes us in the U.S. exceptional in a bad way, it's uh, pricing failure and overtreatment. Pricing failure meaning there's no correlation between price and value or quality. If there is any correlation, it's inversely correlated, at least in some things like surgeries. And then overtreatment. That's a big problem. A lot of non-evidence-based stuff going on. If you look at what we do to our seniors, probably in any other context, you'd call it torture. It's really pretty horrific. And fortunately, there are some great healthcare organizations that are changing that dynamic. But those are our big issues that have to get solved. You had mentioned employers before. But let me just rewind for, for just one second, just ask you, categorically, who's the audience for this film? I'm assuming that employers are, are one such audience, but who else do you yeah. hope sees this? Ultimately, we want to reach the broad public. But the way I think of it is kind of ripples in the, the pond where the first ripple out are really industry people. It's nurses, it's doctors, it's benefits professionals, it's you know, essentially everybody who listens to your podcast, you know, people are directly in the industry. And that's really the focus of the first wave of this movement and the crowdfund and and all of that. And then the next wave out are people who aren't in the industry, but that have a direct stake in it. So these are people that when we bring the film out, there will be very specific calls to action for these people. So these are PTA leaders, teacher unions, local government, faith-based organizations, nonprofit organizations, business coalitions, you know, business owners, social justice groups, medical societies, you know, responsible government groups. It's about 10 or so that they'll have sort of specific calls to action. And the second wave of who we want to reach is them. And so after we're done filming, pre-distribution, we're going to do another crowdfund and outreach to them. So that by the time the film comes out, there's a set of people who are, A, very credible. You know, the, the three most trusted professions in the country in order are nurses, doctors, pharmacists. And then certainly, if you talk about an employer, you know, they rely on benefits professionals to make decisions. So we want them to be very empowered and informed. And then by the time the film comes out, you can imagine public showings at a local theater or a union hall or at an employer or a high school gym where there would be the showing and then afterwards a panel discussion of the forward-looking folks who are like, yeah, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a PTA leader, I'm a union leader, you know, I'm a business owner. We can do this. And, you know, I draw from how the civil rights movement happened. There was a guy behind the scenes called Miles Horton that did a lot of, you know, the Rosa Parks didn't happen by accident. That was a very planned, strategic thing. And so, you know, we're really bringing together people who've had 
tremendous success building grassroots movements. There's some folks, the whole cities and counties climate declaration that combined with an inconvenient truth ultimately drove the Paris Climate Accord. You know, that started in Seattle slash King County, where Seattle is. And then, you know, ultimately people like Bloomberg came on board and ultimately a thousand cities and, and the, you know, the national governments couldn't ignore it anymore. So there's very much those are the audiences. And then, you know, we want them to reach the regular people who, you know, if, if I, you know, knock on the door a few doors down and just get somebody who's not in the industry, they look at healthcare sort of like Middle East peace. Like they know it's a big challenge and problem, but it seems like it's, they're powerless to have an impact. And maybe that's true in that dimension, but it's not true with healthcare. It actually is solvable. We all have a role to play. And so we're going to try to empower everybody in that and kind of build it in these waves. Sounds like the, the point of the film is, is to empower, you know, basically build awareness. And once people have awareness, that's always the first step to, to change. If people don't know there's a problem or haven't identified the problem or don't understand their role in the problem, then it becomes very difficult to come up with a solution. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we have, I mean, you really nailed that. We have the, the sort of arc that I think about is inform, enrage, empower, activate, you know, and that's really what we're trying to do. Let's just say someone is enraged and decides to activate. Do you have examples of what you would like to see people do? You know, for example, I know one of the the features in your film is the Rosen Hotels, for example, as yep. an employer who has chosen to activate. Do you want to talk yep. about that? And if there's other examples of of things you would like to see people actually get out there and motivate to do. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, I mean, high level, this health Rosetta is really a blueprint for how to purchase healthcare smart and in a proven manner. And then there's kind of a corollary, which are the health Rosetta principles, which are a set of guiding principles of how the industry should respond. And Rosen Hotels is a perfect example of sort of living the health Rosetta where it's just an amazing story. You know, this is a guy who didn't know anything about healthcare 20 years ago and had a small kind of hotel chain in Orlando and about 500 employees at the time and just, you know, everything else in his supply chain he could kind of control the value and cost and healthcare he couldn't. And so he's like, you know, enough. Now he became self-insured, which isn't terribly unique, but started by opening his own clinic you know, basically a primary care clinic and looked at what were the barriers to health. For his employees? For his employees, yeah. Wow. And their family members. You know, he hired, of course, people who knew how to run a clinic and, and that sort of thing. And then it was just very diligent. And then fast forward today, and by the way, not an easy employee population. 35% of their workforce are Haitian immigrants, many of whom have had no access to formal health care. Just as a data point, 56% of their pregnancies are categorized as high risk, which can be a budget buster for an employer. Despite that, they are spending 55% less per capita on a benefits package that's better than 99% of the workforce. This was one you know, well-meaning but hardcore business guy that did that. That's what's possible. We need stories like that out there. And, and like I said, what they did wasn't actually that hard other than they were just diligent and they sustained it and kind of the the power of compound interest, you know, and everybody else kind of being asleep at the switch. 
they made it happen. Do you have anything in particular in mind for your first ring outside the bullseye, as you had described it earlier, for the providers or the actual people working within healthcare? Definitely. I mean, certainly love them to get involved with the film through the crowdfund that we're going to launch. We talk a lot about this Health 3.0 movement and kind of it's a North Star and Zubin, you know, ZDog MD has really catalyzed that. And so following him or liking him on Facebook is a great way to, to stay up on that. And then, you know, they are all employees inside of organizations. You know, like I was mentioning to him and to his community, you know, nurses are a large group. A lot of them are quite dissatisfied. You know, they should expect Health Rosetta type benefits. And that is actually a great way for their organization to cut their teeth as we shift to fee for value and population health. You know, what better group than your own employees to really cut your teeth? I mean, I have in my auto signature for my email. Ask your doctor if Health Rosetta is right for you. I mean, that's kind of what I want, you know, that kind of get that out there. Hey, this can be great for the everybody in the system. That's what we're hoping people will do. You had mentioned Health 3.0. What's wrong with Health 2.0? <laughs> great question. <laughs> well, Health 2.0 is a great conference, so not to con- be confused with that. But I'm using uh, ZDog MD's description. He, he calls Health 1.0 kind of the old paternal system where there was some positives in it in terms of the autonomy that the docs had, but there were definitely negatives and abuses and patients being in the dark. And what you ended up having is health 2.0 in his nomenclature is kind of the overcorrection in the other direction where, okay, we're going to get under control. We're going to try to measure everything. We're going to have HCAP scores and press gainy and basically turn doctors and nurses into glorified billing clerks and porters on what's going on and spending less and less and less time with patients. That's where they're extremely dissatisfied and it hasn't done anything or very little for outcomes or or controlling costs. There are better ways to do that. And so that's really health 3.0 is a system that is about rewarding people for keeping them healthy. You know, the the name of my venture fund is the Quad Aim Fund. And the thing that I found in this quest to figure out who solved it, well, guess what? The the folks who really solved healthcare, they start with, and it's just kind of common sense, they really care about their care team and make sure that they're professionally challenged and satisfied. And that it's only common sense that that naturally leads to a better patient experience and where you get into the triple aim. And that's where the kind of magic happens, that partnership between the care team and the individual. And that naturally leads to better outcomes and then lower costs when there's the right model. That's kind of the, the dynamic we're, we're really trying to focus in on with the Health 3.0 is you can actually do right by the team. And when you have economics aligned with outcomes, there's no reason why you can't be very profitable. I mean, you look at organizations like Healthcare Partners and Caremore, who are kind of ahead of the curve on this. And, you know, they collectively were acquired for over $5 billion. So this is not about just taking a vow of poverty. You can do it. And there absolutely are profit opportunities in deflationary economics. Is there one thing in particular that you could pluck out as an example of how 2.0 
has overcorrected? Yeah. Whew. Where would I? I mean, certainly the the kind of age caps and some of that is an example. But I, I think another one is health really 1.0 and 2.0 really undermined primary care in this country. We have probably the worst primary care of any developed country, and that's undermined things. And then we've just added to that. So now there's all these designations of patient-centered medical home. And again, there's some good ideas in there, but you know, putting wings on a car and calling them an airplane doesn't make them an airplane. And you really have to rethink it from the ground up. Practically the first thing I learned as a newbie consultant coming out of school was fix a process before you throw technology on top of it. And unfortunately, healthcare is riddled with throwing technology on top of broken process. And so that's one of the examples where we just made an already tough dynamic with primary care even worse by adding more stuff versus doing kind of a reset on, okay, here, how do we redesign the system? And, you know, it wasn't shipbuilders who figured out how to get across the Atlantic faster. It was airplane builders. And it is a different dynamic. I could see how it would be a bit daunting. You see the bumper sticker on people's cars, think locally or think globally, act locally. But if we're talking about revamping primary care, what do you hope vis-a-vis the the film? I guess I'm trying to connect the dots between I'm an individual or even if I'm an employer fixing primary care, which is this very global concept. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas as to what directions or starting point that people might begin to consider this? Or is that the point of motivating and enraging people that they come up with the right solutions themselves or some combination thereof? Yeah, no, great question. Fortunately, the solution is there. And there's different options, but I would I'd put them under the umbrella of value-based primary care, and there's different flavors of it. So there are some good kind of on-site, near-site clinic providers. Not all of them are, you know, some of them are just kind of fee-for-service, just a little more convenient. But there are a, a reasonable subset that do a great job. And then there's direct primary care, which you know, essentially says, you know, you wouldn't put your Jiffy Lube through your auto insurance. Why would you put your regular ongoing maintenance and kind of get, you know, insurance out of something that really isn't meant to be insurance? Insurance is supposed to be for rare stuff that, you know, you hope never happens, not the predictable stuff. And so an employer can take advantage of either one of those. And the level of dissatisfaction is so high amongst primary care docs, amongst other docs, there's docs clamoring, moving into those. And, you know, those organizations want to grow. And of course, the larger the employer, the easier it is because they've got plenty of critical mass to do that. And so you start to see on-site primary care clinics. And, you know, I've even been hearing now about on-site PT clinics because about 20% of healthcare spend is around kind of lower back and orthopedic stuff, and they can do a lot of stuff. So those are things they can do right away. They're available. They're affordable. You know, you end up investing a little bit more in primary care than you have in the past, but then, you know, it's shown time and again, can dramatically reduce ED visits and hospital days and unnecessary surgeries and so on by doing that. Where can people find more information about you, my friend, and the venture funds that you're working with, as well as the big heist? A few different places. I mean, probably a jump off point is for me personally is I'm Chase Dave on just about everything, LinkedIn, Twitter. So, you know, just my name in reverse. And then the fund is the Quad Aim Fund, which is part of Health Funder. 
with drop the E before R, healthfunder.com. And then the film is on Twitter at The Big Heist. The website is bigheistmovie.com. So all those places are, are good places to go and get plugged in and, you know, hope everybody does. So you can chase Dave at chasedave.com. That's right. <laughs> I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Dave. Again, thanks so much. Really honored to be the first, second time guest and, and love your show. So it's uh, been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.